This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. I like that we get to crack out all the Atlanta and Georgia music when I'm down here uh, in the ATL. Uh, Brad Ball back with us, CEO of Liquid Strategies and Overlay Shares ETS. We're in his town now. He was with us, as you recall, a couple months back, Carol, in New York City. But here in Atlanta, Brad, great to have you with us. Great to be here. Thank you for your hospitality. The, the weather's okay. It was nicer yesterday. But a lot going on in your space. I think the last since the last time we were together, you've launched some new things. Do I have that right? You do. That's correct. Yeah. So we talked about overlays and we talked about how institutional investors, large, uh, you know, pension plans or or very wealthy investors have been able to use their underlying portfolios in a way to dual source them and to create incremental returns. So uh, that's really an attractive way to add value. But uh, uh, unfortunately for most investors, they aren't able to access that because they don't have these huge accounts to be able to do that. And it's kind of impractical on a small basis. So we launched these uh, ETFs called overlay shares, aka ovals. So you had spiders and diamonds and now there's ovals, Jay. Right. And so, uh, and uh, these will hopefully give uh, investors some tools to be able to do the same thing at all levels. And so, what does it look like for an individual investor? Sort of, what does it look like? This sort of fits into the other, the rest of the universe of ETS that they have, what are they getting that they're not getting somewhere else? Right. So if you think about, uh, you know, probably the single largest ETF is the Spiders or S&P 500, where people are just broadly participating in the stock market. Yeah. And we think that's a wonderful idea. It certainly has outperformed active stock selection over the last 10 or 15 years. So our theory is take that cheap beta, take that cheap exposure to the market, but instead of trying to beat it through stock selection, use overlays as your way. So investors buy protection for the market, and they often overpay for that protection. So all we're doing is exploiting that. So what you get with our overlays, we have five different flavors. We have an S&P 500, a small cap, an S&P 600, an Acquiex US, uh, an aggregate, and a municipal bond. And in each of those five separate ETFs, they all come with our overlay embedded on top of it. So you get the underlying cheap beta source, if you will, plus you get our overlay on top of it to hopefully target an incremental 3 to 5% return on an annualized basis. So that's 3 to 5% on top of the index, correct? That's correct. All right. Um, what have you seen so far that, you, that kind of guarantees that we're going to see that? I yeah, know you so, do back testing and so on and so forth, but man, we are living in, an, I think, an unpredictable environment that back and testing. And a low yield environment. And, ba- right? and back testing doesn't always work, I feel like, anymore. Yeah, so we've been running this strategy on a separate account basis for six years now, and uh, and that and we've averaged over three percent during that period of time, and that's actually been during unprecedented low volatile times. So people assume that oh, if it's low volatile, it's good for strategy like this. It's actually the opposite. Actually, when the market's a little more volatile, it's actually there's more premium. You can actually generate more incremental return. So you know we've got six years of back tested data, but further, we, if you actually look at sort of a lot of CBOE data, it suggests that there's a constant 
risk premium that exists in options, and that goes back 30 years plus. And that risk premium averages about 400 basis points on an annualized basis. So all we're trying to do is figure out a very low risk, low volatile way to attack that risk premium. And that risk premium, Carol, by the way, is more consistent than the returns are for bonds or stocks. So we're really just tapping into a very consistent risk premium, but it's a different one from what most investors are aware exists. And so in terms of the types of customers that you're going for, who's attracted to this, if if you can sort of generalize? Like, where are you in your sort of investing horizon if you're going into this product? Yeah, so so the great thing about what we're doing is we're creating – Uh, sort of this concept of kind of better ingredients. So I'm not trying to mix them in any way. I'm not doing lifestyle or target date funds or conservative or balanced. I'm giving these individual ingredients. So you get S&P plus our overlay or ag plus our overlay. So what we're doing is just giving better ingredients for investors to mix them. So there's two real use cases I would explain. One would be an investor who just maybe hasn't saved enough and wishes they were getting more return. And maybe they're investing in small cap and large cap and foreign stocks. Well, they can invest in ours and hopefully get that incremental three to five. But another investor might say, wow, we're at all time highs. And and, and we're really thinking about maybe I want to de-risk my portfolio. So maybe they're thinking about adding our three to five on top of bonds. So if you add bonds plus three to five, now you're talking about a pretty attractive alternative to equity. So we see really investors using both of those types of approaches. Well, it's always great to catch up with you, Brad Ball, CEO, Liquid Strategies, and the Overlay Shares ETS, as he said, a whole suite of those trying to, you know, sort of find, as we've talked about, Carol, you know, a little more yield, uh, maybe take advantage of the lack of volatility, sort of find something out there uh, in order to build something where you can actually make some money yeah. uh, in this market, maybe in a different way. Right. Preserve some of those assets that are out there. All right. So when you think about Atlanta, increasingly, Carol, you're thinking about the tech scene and we are literally in the midst of it right here in Midtown uh, Atlanta and Tech Square Labs, the co-founder and partner. Dr. Paul Judge is with me right across the table here in our Atlanta bureau. And Carol, he and I were talking before we got started about the rich history of security, especially security-related technology startups and beyond startups here in Atlanta. Uh, Paul, great to have you with us. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jason. All right. So give us – Give us the scene because you're right in the middle of it. You have been involved in some incredibly successful companies. I was telling you that when we interviewed the CEO of Avertium yesterday, he was name-checking Pindrop. You were the executive chairman uh, there, helped create that company, very well-known name. CypherTrust is another well-known name here that you were involved in. What are you trying to do now? Because now you've got the next generation on your mind. I absolutely do. You know, after I co-founded Pindrop with VJ. I, I sat around and looked around the block and said, at Georgia Tech alone, there's another 20,000 VJs, meaning a lot of bright individuals that want to go take the chance to bring their own dream and idea to life. And so I really set out on a mission of how do we really encourage and, and support these aspiring entrepreneurs to go take that chance. You call them VJs? 
No, that's the name of his co-founder. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I like heard something. I'm like, did I miss something? You thought, I thought you were, we were going back to like your MTV, MTV days? Yeah. Is that's that what's exa- going on here? That's, uh, exactly. Exactly. So, Paul, what I, what I, you know, I said to Jason earlier, what I love about talking to individuals like yourself when you're making investments, because you invest as much in the company, if not more so in the entrepreneurs themselves, but you see trends that will be dominant down the road. What are you seeing? You know, one of the, the, the biggest trends I'm excited about in, in Atlanta is just really all the raw ingredients that we have here, right? I, I mentioned Georgia Tech, but more broadly, when you look at Morehouse and Spelman and Emory, there's 250,000 college students here that are bright minds that want to go change the world. And then you look right down the street, right, there's over 25, Fortune 1000s in town, right. and those real companies have real problems, and we could take those problems, we could spin them out into real startups. Right. And so we've been doing that. And then the third thing that we've been chasing is Atlanta is known for its music history mm-hmm. and its film history, the culture. And so if you look at these, I call them the three C's, the companies, the colleges, and the culture. Right. As those three worlds come together and start to do so around technology and innovation, it unlocks like really the future, what the next decade of technology looks like here. All right. Well, I want to ask you about a different letter, and it's M, and that's money, and VC, and venture capital, because that historically, I know just enough to be dangerous about the scene here, and that for a while at least, was something that was lacking here. Certainly the homegrown uh, venture capital. You got some inbound from Boston or Silicon Valley. How is that element coming along, not just from a seed stage, but from those investors who can really take it through? You know, what has happened is after you know a number of successful companies started to grow here, uh, VCs start to call and say, yeah. hey, can we come to town? I want to meet more companies here. Right, so just last week I had you know Chris Lyons from Andreessen Horowitz and, and Kobe from Upfront and Lowe from uh, Plexo Capital here speaking at a conference called A3C that we did. This week there's another hundred investors in town for Venture Atlanta, right. and so people are starting to make the journey and even do so on a monthly basis, uh, and even starting to have their companies that are based on the West Coast open second offices yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, because of how fertile the talent pool is here. Uh, now, we still don't have a, call it a, a top decile, top quartile, billion-dollar fund that's based in Atlanta. So we're working on that as one of our next missions. Uh, but there's certainly much more interest for investors to come to town and participate in the ecosystem. Well, Paul, you know what's interesting, too, is and I feel like when you talk to mayors or governors, um, everyone always talks about trying to create another Silicon Valley, right, or another startup community. Everybody says they're doing it, but it does sound like you guys actually are doing it, and there's, it's having an impact. What's necessary for really a VC and a startup community to take off? What's necessary is, I think, you know, real entrepreneurs. It starts, you know, really with you build companies that solve a real problem and, and create value, right, and create returns and create uh, wealth. And then you make the next generation. Uh, Jason was just talking about, you know, some of my good friends, Chris Claus and Tom Noonan, who created ISS, right, Jay Chaudhry, who created Cypher Trust. And, you know, those individuals continue to give back. Uh, invest in the next generation of entrepreneurs, not just go retire into the sunset. Uh, And then you need a rich pool of talent, in which we're we're blessed with here in Atlanta, right? We have this younger generation always coming up with with new ideas. And so as long as you continue to support them, invest back in them, and open up the doorways, I think that's what it comes down to. It's not 
Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, what the other interesting element, and I've really seen this being on the ground here, Carol, and, and I'd be interested in, in Paul's take on this, is this notion that this, I keep referring to it as this collision of industries, you know, the entertainment industry really yeah. come, coming up, the music industry, which has been very strong for a long time. I mean, Atlanta used to be, and I say this is a long time, Atlanta, like a little bit sleepy, but, you know, <laughs> you look at Midtown, you look at this area where we are. It's happened, you know, and you've got people who are living in town and they don't all look the same. You've actually got some real diversity of talent here. It feels like that's an element that may be attracting more and more people. Do I have that right? No, absolutely. I mean, you could have a very multifaceted life here. Right. I find myself in a room the other day and you can in one moment I can be talking to Hala, who's the CEO of the Metro Chamber. And 20 minutes later, talking to two chains and 20 minutes later, you know, talking to the president of Morehouse. Right. And, you know, when you have those types of intersections happening. Yeah, it's, a, it's an environment not only to kind of work, but also sort of create a family and have a good balanced life. I got to say, Carol, I think that is the first time we've had a 2 chains name drop on this show. So that's I'm, I'm, I'm checking that box. It's sort of like, you know, when you popped up on John Oliver the other night, like the things are happening here on this show. And this is a big moment. But you're totally right. I mean, it is amazing when you start to see this sort of critical mass that, that feels like it's happening here. So what's missing? What's next? What's next? I think it's really bringing those three worlds together. They exist here. Uh, we're, we're rich in each one of them, but they're still kind of on the opposite sides of the dance floor, like yeah. at a high school dance, right? And so as they start to integrate more and, you know, the, the large companies do more business with the startups yeah. and the startups do more business with the, the you know, the, the entertainment uh, leaders, those are the things that are going to unlock the future. I mean, if you think about how much culture drives consumer behavior and drives consumer technology acquisition, when those come together, I think that unlocks Atlanta's next part of its journey. Yeah. Now, it's a really, really interesting point. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, Dr. Paul Judge, co-founder and partner of TechSquare Labs. All right. So one of the reasons I'm excited to be in Atlanta, Carol, is you come across these folks who have such an interesting intersection of all the stuff we like to talk about. Big companies, private equity, sustainability, fast-growing companies on the other end. Nobody represents that better than Jay Gould. He's the CEO of Interface. He's here with me in our Atlanta bureau. Great to see you. Thank you, Jason. It's awesome to have uh, someone of your caliber join us to give us the scene here. So let's start on Atlanta because it is a city in transformation in a lot of ways. You've worked here for a long time. You understand sort of what makes the city tick. What's happening at this moment, especially through the lens where you look at it through sustainability, green space, all of those things? Atlanta is such a global leader on a variety of different stages. You know, I originally moved here in 2000 from Tokyo, and I thought the city was small, but it has really blossomed over the last 20 years. Recently, just last year, I moved our company Interface from a suburb Hmm. into midtown Atlanta. And I did that because it's really the hub of business. And I selected a building, by the way, which is right across the street from a MARTA station. Right. So, in fact, I'm in a MARTA commercial right now. I think I'm the only CEO in Atlanta that takes MARTA to work every day. Right. This is the subway that, candidly, has been an on-again, off-again sort of thing here in terms of usability, right? It lacks the breadth. But I tell you, if you can get on a line, it is incredibly efficient. Yeah. 
Well, I think when you talk about that, I, I, we're going to go in a couple different ways. But when you talk about sustainability, I think there's so much that we can do as a country in terms of infrastructure build out that really, really, in a modern way, embraces uh, transportation. Uh, and I, I, but I just don't think we're getting there. What do we need to move faster? Well, I think it's I think it's about people, but CEOs. Let's just talk about people in my position actually promoting this. Yeah. So our move into Midtown, we now have one third of the people that work at our headquarters taking MARTA to work every day. You know, what a commitment. I tell the backstory on that because the founder of the company <clears throat> used to drive a Bentley to work. <laughs> and when he got serious about sustainability, he started driving a Prius. I'm like, how are we going to beat that? Right. And it's MARTA every day. Yeah. So let's talk about sustainability through the lens of your company, too, because and, – and I think Carol was alluding to this. You know, We've talked a lot with guests recently, including one of your former colleagues at the Coca-Cola company, Jeff Dunn, who's running Bolt House Farms. You know, he's thinking about it from a food perspective. We talked with an author of a book called Fashionopolis who's thinking about the implications of fast fashion and how we're thinking about sustainability in an entirely different way way. I mean, we're talking about a flooring and tile company in your case. How does that journey play through with what you're doing in your day-to-day business? Well, in a very dramatic fashion, a little bit of background, Jason. We started on the sustainability movement in 1994, Mm -hmm. so literally 25 years ago. And the first thing was to do no harm. And we called it mission zero, to have no negative impact on the earth. But as we approached achieving that, and by the way, we have achieved that, we are now moving to positive impact. So three years ago, in the summer of 2016, we launched Climate Take Back to demonstrate that we can actually run our model, our business model in a carbon negative way. And so we've doubled down on carbon as a key indicator of progress towards a more sustainable world. I kind of love, you know, this whole idea of carbon negative. You know, we talk so much about negative rates and, you know, how that's not necessarily a great thing. But carbon neutral is not enough. We've got to do better than that at this point, Jay. Indeed. And I'll tell you what's interesting. When you unleash human ingenuity to solve problems. So in the summer of 2016, we launched Climate Take Back. One year later, the R&D team came back. It was a prototype at the time, but with a carbon negative carpet tile. One year after that, we actually launched in Europe the backing system for that. This past summer, we made a major processing breakthrough. And by next summer, we will be selling carbon-negative carpet tile all around the world. It actually sequesters more carbon than if we hadn't Mm -hmm. made it. So can I just ask, what percentage of what you're selling is either you know, moving towards or is kind of that carbon negative or at least carbon neutral, um, you know, element. And also in terms of how you run your business, your own office place, you know, and so on and so forth. You've been talking a lot about it. And I'm just curious about the footprint or impact uh, that you are having as you embrace the sustainable world. Great question. Every product that we sell around the world today is carbon neutral. Now, we achieved that through 25 years of progress, and the very last piece of our footprint, we purchase offsets. Now, truth be told, we think offsets are cheating. Ultimately, we want to run our business in a carbon-negative way with no offsets. We think that's possible by the year 2040. So, and we take that into our offices. So, we put it, we just moved into a new office. We put a... um, HVAC system and that saved us 48% on our energy use. We collect water from the rooftop and use that for our flush systems. 
great. Interface is the kind of company that kind of walks the talk, right. if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we didn't get a chance to talk about Hub 404. That's this multi-purpose nine-acre green space in Atlanta. You're going to have to come back and talk to us because we're going to be back in Atlanta, Carol. I've loved being here. I, I know. know you're a little bit jealous. Yeah. You've got to come down yeah. at some point. See the Kellys. They miss seeing you. You know, you got to do the <laughs> you got to do the whole thing, the whole ATL tour. Jay Gould, CEO of Interface here in our Atlanta bureau. We didn't even get a chance to talk private equity. We have so much more to talk to Jay Gould about. Anyway, he's going to have to come back and join us. All right, so I'm excited to talk about this next story because I feel like, Carol, it synthesizes some of the themes we've been talking about while I'm here in Atlanta. It's a tech hub, a growing tech hub, but ultimately its success is going to rely on a pipeline of talent and a diverse pipeline of talent. So let's talk about a project that's going on here. Ana Tavares Latibodere joins me. She is the head of North America for GSMA. She joins us on the phone from here in Atlanta. Ana, great to have you with us. Great to be here. Thank you. All right, so tell us what you're up to because you've got a partnership going, and I have to say this echoes back to something Carol and I were talking about, not to name drop a little bit, but we were talking to Laura Dern about this back earlier in the year when we were out in Los Angeles, this notion of the STEAM fields and training girls specifically to work there. You're absolutely right, Jason, and I'm really excited that we launched this partnership with Girl Scouts on Saturday. Um, Tech for Girls is a program designed exactly to tackle the the problem of the pipeline. We know that job growth in the tech sector is three times higher than U.S. national average. However, uh, less than one in five tech jobs today is currently held by women, and, and that is declining. Um, and we believe that education and the very beginning, early stages is, is really fundamental. Uh, so these uh, hands-on workshops are um, a way of giving a sense of accomplishment and uh, a, a little insight into what, what a tech career could look like. I think that's wonderful, Anna, because what often happens, and we've had a lot of conversations uh, here at Bloomberg about how women at a younger age or girls at a younger age and certainly women starting out after college, they have the same goals, the same mission, the same aspirations as men, but then something starts to come undone. And I'm just curious about your perspective on that, that we can, you know, get women and, you know, and girls interested about in STEM, but something starts to come undone. What else do we need? to do to make sure that uh, we do have fair representation, equal, at least equal representation by girls and women when it comes to uh, technology and science and so on? Yes, that's a, that's a great question, Carol. And uh, Girl Scouts has actually done some research in the past. And for some reason, despite some of the girls having interest in, in, in STEAM fields, uh, they end up not choosing it as a career, and about forty-seven percent of them say that they don't—they don't, they don't want to be the only girl in the room, mm. and so it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So um, we are trying to, um, within these workshops, also uh, bring some inspirational women that have chosen tech careers, so that they can explain, you know, what it was for, for them uh, to enter the field and inspire the girls to want to have a career in tech as well. 
Well, and one of the interesting things, Carol, that jumped out to me was this notion of the even the way that this is framed. You know, one of the elements that the Girl Scouts can receive for completing a workshop is this notion of thinking like an engineer. And I do think that's so important as we talk about how our daughters' careers are going to be totally different from mm -hmm. ours in the sense of what's expected of them and probably the necessity of applying all these different sorts of elements. And I'm also intrigued by this notion that in we're going from STEM to STEAM, we're, we're integrating uh, arts and design into this mix as well. So, Anna, how do you ensure that they're going to be sort of ready across all of those different things, or do you sort of have to pick and choose? No, I think that all of those are really important. And if we think about, you know, what the future technology will bring, uh, technology is going to be part of everything we do, right? I mean, we're talking about uh, 5G and edge computing and robotic surgeries and um, smart logistics. It's going to be part of everything. And so, you know, women will be users, avid users of the technology and unfortunately, today, they end up being very underrepresented in its creation. And right. that's an issue for the industry, right, um, and for the technology innovation process. So I think all of it is really important, uh, all of the careers. I don't think you have to pick and choose. They're all important. They're, they're growing. They're the, the type of careers that are growing. And it, it is important to get fair representation across uh, both genders at the end. Yeah, right. I think it's pretty amazing what you guys are doing. And, and I look forward to a world where, you know, everybody, boys, girls, we don't think twice about kind of what worlds we want to be in. It's just kind of a given. Um, Anna, thank you so much. Anna Letty uh, Bordier, she is head of North America at GSMA. Uh, they represent the interests of mobile operators around the world and certainly uh, concerned about the next pool of workers when it comes to technology and science. You got the juice. All right, so Carol, I have got the best variation on Sipper Sweat going on. This is like a hybrid because Jeff Henry is here. He's the president of Jamba back with us. He's here in Atlanta because that's where he's based. And he brought me and actually the whole team in Atlanta. You're going to be so jealous. Aww. This delicious smoothie. Jeff, tell me what, tell me what I'm about to drink. So it's a matcha lemon squeeze. Yeah, it uh, is. It's got delicious matcha. It also has oat milk. So we just introduced oat milk across all of our stores in America. And Jason, last time you and I were together, we talked about oat milk. We so did. You called it. I, you yeah, it. exactly. You were ahead of the curve. And I got to tell you, Carol, it is delicious. So <laughs> the last time Jeff was with us, as you recall, Carol, we were talking about, I mean, essentially a, a reboot or a really – a renovation, right. maybe, of the whole Jamba brand. Tell us where you are in that process. Yeah, so we were together about four months ago, and it's been a, an exciting summer. Uh, we are well into our kind of rebranding process. Uh, it, it's kind of a threefold process. One is kind of updating our menu uh, in many regards to increase the number of plant-based offerings as well as reduced sugar offerings. Uh, and we updated our menu in June, and then we updated it again uh, two weeks ago with kind of the products you're trying now, which are, are featuring oat milk. And oat milk, again, is a, a great uh, plant-based alternative yeah. milk, lower in sugar, lower in uh, cholesterol. And it's we've got a, a number of smoothies. You can swap it 
And so that's just one example of kind of where we're going on that kind of lower sugar journey. So on the oat milk front, because as you know, as you learned last time, I'm a little bit obsessed with this. It's also, is do I have it right that it's like a little bit better for the environment too? Some would say that for sure, okay. yes. Uh, but also we just think for just from an overall nutrition yeah. standpoint that it's just it's delicious tasting. It's a great plant-based alternative. And, again, it's lower in sugar. So if you're looking to kind of cut back on the sugar in your diet, it's a great option. Hey, Jeff, what's really guiding you in terms of product innovation? Is it nutritional? Is it caloric? Like what are the metrics that really drive what you guys want to offer on your menu? Yeah, so we're certainly, uh, our innovation is certainly science-based. So we have in-house culinary experts. We have in-house registered dietitians. uh, And so we are kind of pulling together a variety of kind of insights and data to make those decisions. Um, Certainly it's about making sure that we have a great breadth of offerings because everyone's, you know, in different places in their own wellness journey. Uh, And so we just want to make sure that we have the right offering to reach as many people with a delicious product uh, that we can. All right, so tell us about, what you're learning vis-a-vis the consumer. And I'm especially interested in what you're learning here in Atlanta. You know, we're sitting here in Midtown Atlanta, which I feel like, and, and Carol, I'm sure is just sick of hearing me say this, but it's it's a little bit of a microcosm, I feel right. like, of America in many ways, of consumer taste. You've got a bunch of companies, big and small. You've got a big university, Georgia Tech, right around the corner this has got to be an interesting lab for you. What are you learning? Yeah, it's Atlanta is a great marketplace. Again, I've been a resident of Atlanta for about 13 years. Uh, but for us in Jamba, you know, Jamba has about 800 stores in the U.S. Uh, and over 400 of them are in California. So we, our presence in the East is actually a lot less. And yeah. so we're looking at, at Atlanta as a great opportunity to re-enter a market uh, in a new way and uh, doing that through both company-owned store, a few company-owned stores as well as franchisees. We're actually now 99% franchised organization, mm-hmm. so we're heavily franchised. Um, and we actually are opening up a couple of stores here in Atlanta. We actually opened up one three weeks ago at Tech Square. Right. Uh, and we're actually opening up one in three weeks right near the Beltline, which is also a big re- major redevelopment here in Atlanta. Right. Uh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. But I, what I'm curious about, too, and I know we've talked about this, I think, previously, but I do think about this space in general. Um, people are jumping on, and rightfully so, I feel like, the wellness ba- you know, bandwagon. So there are more and more choices out there for consumers. What do you make of the competitive landscape? Yeah, I think it's good to be in a competitive category. Uh, we certainly you know, respect and appreciate our competitors. I think we differentiate our brand through kind of also our operations because uh, we make great tasting smoothies. We can also do it in, uh, in with great speed. And I think, Jason, you mentioned you like to go to Jamba in the airport. Yeah. So you probably see three or four people online, and you're starting to wonder, do I want to get in that line, right? right? So speed of service is critically important for us. Uh, again, great tasting products are, are critically important for us. And just the, the brand's positioning. I mean, Jamba has always been fortunate as the leader in the category. Next year will be our 30th year. Uh, we've been fortunate to always kind of get picked up in pop culture, be it, uh, you know, Hollywood movies or kind of uh, music. And it gets a lot of brand recognition to help us stand out in the crowd right. uh, and help us differentiate ourselves. I want to just follow up because you guys do Jamba at home, right? Yes, we do have a few uh, licensed products as well, uh, and certainly with Focus Brands now as our kind of parent corporation, we'll continue to look at that space. But there are a couple of products uh, for Jamba, both at home as well as kind of uh, fruit snacks on the go. Is that and a big is that big opportunity though for you guys? Because I just think if you get people at home too, it just kind of translates back and forth to, you know, your retail stores and so on and so forth. 
Yeah, we we definitely think it's an opportunity. I, I think it depends upon kind of which category you're, you're talking about. Is it smoothies? Is it juices? But certainly helping build the brand outside the four walls of the store or the kiosk in the airport is definitely a big opportunity for us. All right. So geographically, where do you go next? So again, we're fortunate to have you know a strong, strong brand presence in the Western U.S. Yep. We got about six hundred or eight hundred stores are in the West Coast or kind of Southwest, with about two hundred here in the Eastern U.S. So we are looking to kind of both grow store units infill locations in the west and then a, a number of markets here in the east uh, certainly atlanta is one of them but mm-hmm. certainly the southeast there's a lot of opportunity for jamba to grow and do you think about sort of expanding the platform as it were you're owned by private equity i know they're always sort of growth minded i mean is there a way that you pick up some adjacent brands here or do you just keep growing this brand well, we are certainly looking at kind of co-branding opportunities. Okay. So, again, being part of Focus Brands, Focus owns a number of well-known brands like Annie Ann's Pretzels, Cinnabon. And so, uh, you know, Annie Ann's and Cinnabon have very strong uh, store presence in a number of the top malls across the country. Mm-hmm. Jamba's only in about 80 malls today. So there's hundreds of malls that we could go into. And in some cases, we'll look at a co-brand location where perhaps you'll see an Annie Ann's and a Jamba next to each other in a, in a shopping mall. Well, and like that's a perfect combination. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> well, and that sort of takes you back into, you know, you worked at Dunkin' Donuts, I believe, Coca-Cola, before yeah, at Dunkin', yeah, yeah. you and know, through that, Donuts, and yep. you did some deals there, so you understand sort of how it all uh, fits together. All right, great to catch up with you, and Carol, you know, I'm a little spoiled here, because people know. brought me treats. I know. You know, yesterday it was bourbon, today it's Jamba, <laughs> so a little healthier uh, today, but it's been uh, our thanks to Jeff Henry, president of Jamba. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.